Greetings! You're listening to the audio version of Up the Waterfall. To see us and everything we talk about, be sure to check out the video version by visiting youtube.com slash Thanks for listening! Well, now you got into this mess by going down a waterfall. Now, how would you suppose we'd get them out of that? By going up the waterfall? That's right! Anything's possible in Disneyland. Now, most carousels go round and round without getting anywhere. But on this one, at every turn, we'll be making progress. And progress is not just moving ahead. It's dreaming and working and building a better way of life. Progress is the sound of a motor, the hum of a turbine, the heartbeat of a factory, the sound of a symphony, the roar of a rocket. Progress is people getting release from drudgery, gaining more time to enjoy themselves, and live richer lives. And as long as man dreams and works and builds, this progress will go on in your life and mine. Welcome, friends, and thank you for joining us on this episode of Up the Waterfall with your hosts, Zanna and Scott Otis. Here we take a journey up the waterfall of Disney Park's history, facts, and nostalgia with a present-day point of view. And that, of course, was the original Rex <laughs> Allen narration from the 1964 World's Fair. I absolutely love that opening. The presentation of GE's Progress Land. Ooh. And in this episode, we will journey back to the Carousel of Progress origins. That's fun. Its present state and where we hope it will go in the future. Interesting. So, let's jump in. It's a good thing I researched <laughs> that topic. That's what it was. Uh, I think this is going to be a mostly Scott episode no. because he is the facts and figures, 27 books on this subject alone it person. It might have been 30, but uh, I, anything about that goes back to the World's Fair and like old Disneyland, yeah, I, I like that stuff. So and I like that you like one. it, and that's why we're together. <laughs> but yeah, in, in preparing for this episode, we came home the other night, and I think there was about, you know, 25 books stacked up in front of you. So At least a lot of them, the really big uh, coffee table books, that a lot of which are right behind me. But yeah. That's so you've done your homework, and now let's hear about it. Uh, I guess there's a little <laughs> bit up here, but I actually did write some notes, But uh, so I might have to use them. That's totally yeah. okay. Uh, anyway, Progress Land actually um, came from an idea quite a long time ago. Back in Disneyland's infancy, uh, they were just, um, you know, it opened in 1955. In about 1958 or so, they were looking to expand. And one of the prime uh, locations that they were thinking about expanding was uh, behind Main Street, kind of in between Main Street and Tomorrowland. And there was going to be an offshoot. And there were many ideas that they were going to have for that, including Liberty Street, which eventually became Liberty Square um, at the Magic Kingdom, uh, International Street, which kind of became World Showcase at Epcot. But another idea that they had was for a place called Edison Square. Ah, uh, yes. Yes. So anyway, Edison Square was uh, it was planned for that area, and they were even uh, thinking about having it open in Easter of 1959. Um with an opening kind of near the the plaza or the, uh, the plaza inn. <clears throat> anyway, it was going to be a more of an urban setting 
than the Midwest uh, setting of Main Street, kind of um, kind of a neighborhood, but in a larger city, maybe Chicago. And it was going to be set circa 1918, and would represent kind of the the new the new movement into electricity and having that power the cities. And that was uh, you know it was lighting up the nation. And they were even going to have a statue of Thomas Edison right in the middle. Wow. But now this was at where the Plaza Inn is right now? Um, actually behind that. <laughs> behind even. that? Okay. In a place that really is, uh, they've never put an attraction. It's kind of backstage mm. be behind Main Street. Oh, okay. So I've they've never, never been backstage at Disney. Yeah, they've never really used that. But for some reason, they always thought that they could um, put a, a land there. And but I mean that I know that that area is very desperately needed for all of the you know services to you know all of the backstage stuff to get to all of those places. So I can't imagine if they yeah. had put a land there that they <laughs> would have that would have just been way too tight in my opinion. But anyway, the the main attraction at Edison Square would be a show called Harnessing the Lightning. It was going to be a four-act history of electricity, as seen through the eyes of four generations of American of an American family. But instead of what we know now as the Carousel of Progress, these would actually be um, a walk-through exhibit with four vignettes. Mm. Uh, it would, which would be going like decade by decade, and would be narrated. So, scene one they actually had uh, names for all these things. Uh, the first one was going to be called One Percent Inspiration, Ninety-Nine Percent perspiration and was going to be set in 1898 so mm. this is kind of like the infancy of electricity when Tom Edison was uh, doing all of his fun inventions and then the second one was going to be called initials of a friend which kind of uh, is a reference to GE General Electric ah. um, and that was going to be set in 1918 which was the, the setting of the entire land so that's really when electricity was really starting in, in a lot of the major cities, just in its infancy. Mm. Uh, the third scene was going to be called Living Better Electrically, which was going to be set in 1958, which at that time was present day. Oh. And then the fourth scene was going to be called More Power to America, which was going to be set sometime in the future. Not sure when. Mm. But it did predict such things as a microwave oven, which at that time had been invented, but was very, very new, as well as a uh, use of a personal computer. Wow. Yeah. So anyway, and they were going to use, um, to represent the family, um, these electro-mechanical electro animated figures, which, you know, it sounds like audio animatronics, but this is a full five years before audio animatronics was even invented. <laughs> So they were, they had the idea to try to come up with something that would later become audio animatronics. Yeah. Anyway, Edison Square was such a big deal. They even had it on the park maps as kind of like a coming soon thing. So it was like unlike the the Liberty Street and the International Street, this one was they were set to go, and um, GE was going to be the the sponsor, and it was on the park maps. But later they took them off the park maps because GE said, you know, and let's not do that. Let's actually do something for the World's Fair that's coming up. Because in 1964, the, the World's Fair was coming to New York City. And this was a huge deal. And a lot of people remember the 1939 New York World's Fair. That was kind of like the almost yeah. like 
the world world fair of world fairs. <laughs> um, I know there were some really great ones before that. Certainly, the Columbia Expedition, or I don't think Exposition? I said that. Exposition. Exposition, which was in Chicago in 1893. And actually, Walt's father uh, worked on that one as yeah. a as a carpenter. And of course, the 1906 one, I think, in St. Louis. That was a huge deal too. Meet me in St. Louis. Ah. Uh, the invention of the Ferris wheel and all that. That one might have been Chicago. That not was sure. Chicago. <laughs> <laughs> I get them all mixed up. It's okay. But anyway, um, so it, the World's Fair coming back to New York City was going to be a huge deal. And GE, they were actually going through a, a rough time at this time. They had gone through a whole price-fixing scandal, and a lot, of the, a lot of the public was basically looking pretty down on GE because they had been caught Uh-oh. price fixing and mm. so they had a negative image and so they wanted to improve that image and so they uh Who better than walt disney exactly. to do that <laughs> and actually at the end of the fair <coughs> uh, approval ratings for ge had just skyrocketed wow uh, that's like, crazy to think about. like 25 percent to 80 percent of those who thought of them favorably simply because of their association with walt disney at the fair hmm. So anyway, uh, they wanted to do that, um, so they came up with the idea of Progress Land. Um, so that Edison Square never came to be. And anyway, Progress Land uh, was just a, a fun thing. Uh, John Hench had actually recently seen um, Our Town on Broadway. Ah. And uh, he kind of got, and he had Walt see it as well. And they kind of got the idea to have the, the father figure yeah. of, or I, I guess the narrator. Narrator of our town kind of be similar to the father figure of um, this Progress Land show. But anyway, the initial story, the father's name was Wilbur K. Watt, which was a very curious name. <laughs> curious <laughs> name. You know, like Watt. Get it? Yeah, Watt? I get it. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, <clears throat> uh, that eventually changed to the Cartwrights, and then they were the Peabody's or Peabody's depending on whether you're from Massachusetts or not. <laughs> yeah, you asked me about that, because from being from Massachusetts, we would say Peabody as Peabody. But yeah. you asked if we would say a last name that way, too. And I'm like, I never knew anybody with the last name Peabody. Well, the family in Progress Land <laughs> Peabody. I guess at it would one be point Peabody. was called Peabody. <laughs> at least that's what I thought it was. Or the Peabody's. From Middleburg, <laughs> USA. You know, hmm. the kind of generic Midtown. Yeah. Uh, town. <laughs> I think it's good that they went with no name, though, because yeah, they, then everyone can became sort of nameless. identify. Anyway, <laughs> it was uh, to be, it was to go through four scenes. It's uh, the similar uh, structure that you know today. It has six uh, rotating scenes. The first is a load area, and then it kind of goes through four scenes um, through the decades of you know just kind of the what kind of advances in electricity they were going to have. And it was the. 1910s? Well, the original one was kind of 1880s. Oh, okay. And then the 1920s, then the 1940s, and, and then, then kind of present day. Future. Oh, Actually, present were, day and the Well, original? present day with a futuristic yeah. slant. Um, but yeah, and actually, John Hench had actually, um, the, the famous Imaginer, he had uh, done designs for the, the football final scene, and there's just some beautiful images. Hopefully, mm. we'll be able to get those up there. Um, of what kind of the present day slash future would look like. So that's really neat. 
Anyway, um, but in, in 1963, they had uh, made a full demo recording of the entire show using Western star Rex Allen as the, the singing the cowboy. The That's right, the singing cowboy. <laughs> He was just got a, a really folksy, down-home voice. Mm-hmm. Uh, very familiar, very very uh, comforting. And he was the father. And they actually used a musical score composed by Buddy Baker. And then they added, of course, the, the famous song from the Sherman Brothers. Yes. Uh, called There's a Great Big Beautiful Tomorrow. I'm sure a lot of you know this one. Yeah. Uh, so Walt tasked them with writing a song that would tell the story without giving away what's happening, as well as capturing the spirit of the pavilion, of the essence of the pavilion. And I think they succeeded pretty well. I think they did. And it also really encapsulates Walt Disney's outlook on oh, yeah. life. And it really is like that's It's Walt. funny that you say that because uh, I know uh, Richard Sherman, he – he uh, tells this one story about how they were coming up with the idea of the um, kind of the the words for that, mm-hmm. and and they started by saying, "Walt has a dream," and that, <laughs> that's a start, and they use that as the yeah the the opening line. Their stories are so Man great. Man has a dream, and that's a start. <clears throat> he follows his dream with mind and heart. Right. Yes, I might follow up on the song <laughs> later when you get to okay. present day. But anyway. Um, so a lot of the whole idea of going back in time, though, um, to f- um, previous decades and showcasing the advancement of electricity, but through the past, General Electric originally was not very fond of this idea because they didn't want like their old appliances to be in mm. there. Their whole idea was progress, or you know that they were selling progress, um, and so they didn't want all of that old stuff to be showcased. But Walt, you know, he he got really angry about that <laughs> because he was like i you know for my entire career i've been using nostalgia yeah as a way to tell the stories mm-hmm. and you know i think i've done a pretty good job with that trust me it's going to work this way and, and the one uh, ge executive who kind of had the the strongest voice on that and they've kind of ushered him away and just uh the said, power you're of no Walt longer Disney. involved with this <laughs> and uh he eventually got to do that and used the Nostalgia through story. Very cool. Yeah. But anyway, um, originally they had um, earlier versions of the show. They actually included popular songs of the time, including such songs as Bird in a Gilded Cage and an old song called oh, yes, Barney that Google. Old favorite. Barney Google with the goo goo googly eyes? Yeah. Yeah. My parents grew up in the 50s. I know a few things. <laughs> I actually did not know that one. But it's funny. They used the word Google way back then. Ah, yes. But in a different context. That's what you were talking about. It was. Hmm. He told me this, and I didn't realize it was yeah, from I Barney Google. I didn't tell you the context. <laughs> but anyway, uh, so Buddy Baker, he actually composed all the different various styles that kind of transitioned uh, each of the different scenes kind of you know, from the, the old time of the 1880s to the 1920s, 1940s that we're all familiar with kind of when the show kind of opens when each scene opens and closes. Mm. He actually came up with those transitions uh, using the song that um, the Sherman Brothers wrote. And originally, the final scene was going to be constantly updated and uh, with cutting-edge technology. And, you know, John Henshi actually tasked himself with kind of like going through all of the, the popular mechanics kind of uh, magazines mm. and newspapers and just kind of trying to become familiar with all everything that's up and coming to to do that 
And I think in the fair, you know, it was only there for two seasons, but uh, I think they did a good job there. Uh, probably did so at Disneyland, but then at, uh, at Disney World. Well, we know how that happens. We'll probably talk yeah, a little we'll bit get more to about that. <laughs> but anyway, um, they, so anyway, they used this new fangled thing called audio animatronics that they had just used um, with birds in the um, Enchanted Tiki Room at Disneyland. But this was uh, the thing at the World's Fair was an idea to use the corporate money from the sponsorship of General Electric to essentially fuel their ideas. Yeah, and, and develop them. Yeah, so in, in addition to the ride systems, they actually came up with human audio animatronics that they used in both the uh, Lincoln exhibit at the fair as well as this. And they actually did also have some at the Ford uh, Skyway. Oh, yeah, those cavemen. Yeah, which were very rudimentary. <laughs> but uh, mainly it was going to be used here at the at the Progress Land where they actually had, I think, a total of 32 audio animatronics. Wow. Including a couple of spring robins. Yes, uh, that's Kind of right. the old school ones, but uh, a bunch of humans. So. I think Lincoln gets, you know, all the credit because he stands up from a sitting position, In which, addition, of course, was yeah, amazing. But that, but also because he was a living figure that was so true. revered. Yeah. Uh, and a lot of people had gone to the fair thinking that this was a real human not knowing so yeah yeah so all of the characters of course in progress land are fictional and so um but but they were done so well that they actually certainly looked like just kind of mid-americans and um actually you may remember cousin orville Mm -hmm. the bathtub scene actually came up with the the gag of him being in the bathtub and actually Walt um he was so involved in the presentation and the making of this attraction he, he kind of got up there and saw it from the guest stand, standpoint and kind of turned the bathtub around he even hopped in the bathtub himself and kind of hmm. positioned himself the way cousin Orville would be and including and he said we, he, we should have his toes hanging out of the <laughs> of the top with him wiggling his toes wow so he was so involved with that and uh, of course uh, we may remember that Mel Blanc came up with or he was the voice of cousin Orville which is really other than the couple of hiccups that he had done for Gideon in the movie Pinocchio in oh, back no. in 1940, uh, this was the only thing he had ever done for Disney because he was very involved with Under Warner contract. Brothers. Contracts were big back then. That's right. <laughs> they actually used him as the no privacy at all around this place. And I believe he's the only original voice that's still there oh, yeah. to this day because they right, they have since uh, changed them all. But we'll get to that, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, Mark Davis. I cannot uh, stress the importance of Mark Davis here. They used him to come up with a lot of the running gags yeah. that they had. Uh, you know, which he he's been tasked with from you know as far back as the Jungle Cruise, mm-hmm. Enchanted Tiki Room, Country Bear Jamboree, of course, Pirates of the Caribbean, Haunted Mansion. So, yeah, him coming up with a lot of the gags for these was uh, certainly a critical scene. Um, but anyway, uh, I was going to add one last thing, was that they actually had, um, in the fourth scene that I w- had talked about earlier, they actually also included the uh, the prediction that there would be computers in the kitchen. Wow. Yeah, which I think well, you was... see in, you know, even today. Yeah. 
that's true. That was big back in the 50s, though. Like when you see at sci-fi yeah. dine-in theater over at Disney's Hollywood Studios, they show all of those little newsreels from the home of the future and that well, sort of thing. Well, including the home of the future that they installed at Disneyland. Yeah. That was kind of a big deal, too. So a lot of these things really do tie into each other. I mean, I, that's just something I love, that a lot of the Disney attractions throughout the years a lot of them have the same ideas and mm-hmm. things like that. So that's just really cool. But anyway, so they did a mock-up of the entire show, and they assembled it literally on the studio's back lot, each of the four different vignettes, and they filmed an entire show, and then they sent that to GE in New York. And they actually used that um, as a kind of like a work in progress um, that was later shown on the Disney TV show, uh, Disney Goes to the World's Fair, hmm. which was just a f- spectacular thing. It's on the uh, the um, the the <laughs> I can't remember them. The 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 tins, the tin sets. The, oh yeah, the treasures. Oh yes, the Walt Disney treasures. <laughs> that that is of course included on one of those. That's what I'm here for. And it's one of my favorites because it actually basically uh, goes through each of the four different um, World's Fair shows. And the development of those, and and actually, actually, a famous scene of um, Imagineer Waithel Rogers in that uh, contraption. And they actually show this in the pre-show currently at the Carousel of Progress. Anyway, it's got Waithel Rogers in this whole mechanical setup, where mm. he's. Um, it was kind of an, the idea that they would um, record the audio animatronics movements with this contraption, and then you you see him kind of smoking his pipe. And mm-hmm. kind of moving his arms and all that, and then it shows the the father figure behind him doing the exact same movements. Yeah, and that was the idea. That contraption actually didn't really work out so well, hmm. um, and so they actually recorded it in hopes that it would eventually work. But they actually never really used that setup as hmm. a way to um, record audio animatronics. Interesting. Yeah, they actually had. I think a lot of you have seen the kind of the the mechanical. Um, board that has yeah. the man on it with all these different levers and mm-hmm. knobs and things that can be turned, and they record them that way. So, but but the one with uh, Waithel Rogers, that one was kind of more showy and yeah. so fun. And they actually had Walt up there, um, you know, with him, sh- kind of demonstrating it as part of that show, the Disney Goes to the World's Fair, which of course was one of the Walt Disney Presents shows. Yes. Uh, that one aired on TV on, I think, uh, May 17th, 1964, which was probably just a month after the World's Fair opened. Hmm. Yeah. We'll have to rewatch that. Oh, yeah. That's a good one. But anyway, so they showed um, the whole show to GE, and they, they, there was something missing. And Walt said, you know what? Um... Let me let me work on this, and I'll show it to you in about a week, and we'll see what we can improve upon it. He wanted to add what is called a weenie, you know, something that kind of visually draws the uh, the viewer to mm-hmm. it. And Walt actually came up with the idea of adding the dog ah. in each of the scenes. So I'm not sure, uh, you know, they so Rod or uh, Rover Sport. Buster and Queenie Queenie. (laughs) (laughs) kind of got his uh, start that way. Mm -hmm. And his name has changed over the years um, as to which one 
is which because yeah. I know I remember the old show that actually had uh, where his name changed often throughout the show. Oh, and there was one, some where his name stays the same. Hmm. Rover. Leave him alone. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, uh, but the theater itself um, was kind of a, you know, a rotating theater. It's basically a giant theater. There are six theaters in the shape of a donut that's um, physically on top of wheels that, that turn it. So there's that. There's the wall itself that spins from the outside and then there's the interior that has the interior that has all of the show sets and then behind that are actually kind of the mechanics of where the behind the scenes mechanics of where all that stuff works Mm. but originally um these uh, of all of the theater sets um there were six i guess six with 250 seats each so there's quite a, a large capacity there. But when they finally got past the fourth scene and into the sixth, theme, sixth scene, guests were invited to walk onto the stage, what? onto an escalator or a futuristic speed ramp that essentially went into the the middle of it, and but up a speed ramp, up an escalator, up to the second floor. Huh. Yeah. You probably told me that, but I didn't realize it was like on the stage. Yeah. So, That's crazy. So there was a way where basically where the wall kind of opened up to allow guests to walk onto the stage and onto mind blowing. Where essentially the stage was the entrance of a of an escalator that went up to the uh, second floor. Wow! But that was um, they actually had a corridor of mirrors as you were going up the speed ramp and. When you got to the top of the speed ramp, you could see the the entire top of the dome, and there was a huge dome, so it was kind of like a concave uh, um, thing where they projected all kinds of images on top of it, where they were just absolutely impressive, including the sun, and you know they had lightning with thunder sounds, mm-hmm. and even uh, solar flares and solar fires as well as spinning atoms, kind of just as a way to illustrate man's quest for new energy sources. Wow. Yeah. Which included a demo of nuclear fusion. Yeah. So anyway, <laughs> that took them up to a, an exhibit called Galaxy of Science and Engineering, hmm. where guests wound their way through the Sky Dome Spectacular, which was that, you know, the whole Sky Dome yeah. Uh, where they followed man's search for energy from lightning strikes and caveman's first fire all the way to the discovery of nuclear power. So they had a whole thing where actually right, basically right when you got to the top of this escalator, uh, there was an 80-foot spiraling ramp down the middle. Yeah, <laughs> and it's absolutely mind-blowing. Wow. I wish I could have seen this. Yeah, me too. Uh, anyway, where they essentially perform the what the guide map called the awe-inspiring atomic fusion, a man-made sun. Yeah, <laughs> but actually create, you know, because you have fission. Yeah. That, you know, it's kind of like, I guess, like a nuclear bomb. But f- fusion is taking atoms and combining them to create like a sun, uh, which is a an unlimited source of energy and they were basically doing this every six minutes wow and so following a dramatic countdown there was a percussive blast that echoed throughout the building and a brilliant bright flash 
and uh, from there was a fusion apparatus at the bottom of all of this, and basically people were on this uh, spiral staircase, not staircase, but a, like a ramp, mm-hmm. looking down upon this every six minutes, and um, it, it was announced that millions of atoms had been fused to two, 20 uh, million degrees Fahrenheit. Jeez. Yeah. The New York Times actually declared this the most grandiose uh, science exhibit at the fair. Wow. Yeah. But it turns out the nuclear fusion was real. Yeah. It's absolutely mind-blowing. <laughs> but in a, it was a very controlled way, uh, But it was and it was measured by the scientists uh, from GE Labs. But, uh, like, it was such a weird kind of... E- even kind of controversial thing to yeah. have this there. It was kind of strange. But John Hench, he actually insisted that each of the Big Bangs, essentially that what they were, that, that they be measured on the off chance that guests claim that they were harmed by radiation from this. Nice. And in fact, there actually were some nuisance lawsuits, but they were all proved uh, harmless by the data that was kept there. Wow. Yeah. Can you imagine? Johnny Hench, planning ahead. Yeah, but there actually is a soundtrack f- uh, for that entire show um, that's just amazing to listen to. It's very, it's, it is kind of dry sounding and very f- serious, and but it's very reminiscent of kind of like the Rite of Spring uh, sequence mm-hmm. of um, uh, Fantasia, as well as, I don't know if you remember the original Universe of Energy, the... The very first film that you would see b- before the walls opened up and you would go visit the dinosaurs mm-hmm. was, had that vibe to it. Very serious. Hmm. Like they were doing some serious business here. Which, you know, fusion is serious business. Yeah. But essentially that's just an amazing um, new source of energy that they were looking for. So, woo. <sighs> Anyway, uh, after that, guests could go back up the ramp and go to uh, the Ma- um, the Medallion City, which was a glimpse of the electric promise of today. And they there were like 20 different vignettes all set up. There was gorgeous music. I think that was the music to buy toasters by. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which is one of the tracks on, the, on this uh, CD set. Um, but anyway, so there were all these vignettes of utopians, uh, like civic industrial and residential futures including live demos from such things as space exploration to an enhanced kitchen all the different kinds of futuristic things hmm. which is kind of a fun new thing and they also had full-size prototypes of an all-electric city including model homes and that's they were called the medallion homes from this oh. medallion city wow yeah and so, yeah, all of this was on the second floor, which was set up like a, like a main street with many of the faux storefronts, um, each having its own presentation. And it was just really cool. One of them including a talking toucan. This one was the, the toucan and the parrot electric utility show, ah. which used a toucan and a parrot, <laughs> of course, and a... <laughs> transformer from a utility pole ah. a talking transformer like from utility early pole, stage course. bird and robot show exactly <laughs> from the world of motion exactly uh, one of them was uh, voiced by Paul Fries of course oh, and yes. the other one was by Wally Bogue hmm. uh, from the original 
Golden Horseshoe Review. But anyway, his character, the parrot, voiced by Wally Bogue, he was kind of um, uh, hypnotized into <laughs> believing that he was actually from the 1939 New York World's Fair. Weird. And that he was, you know, so he was confused by all of this progress. <laughs> and the other bird... Uh, the toucan and the utility pole were trying to explain to him all of the advancements in electricity to show him that no this is actually the 1964-65 World's Fair which is just really cool and once again that whole show uh, can be listened to on that uh, CD set which I'll show you at the end (laughs) you're going to play it for all of us oh I'd love to It really is, because it's just so very unique. And all of this stuff is was only at the World's Fair. It yeah. never moved to Disneyland or anything. But what did move to Disneyland? What did? <laughs> yeah, like, are I'll we at that you, point yet? Not, not even quite yet. Oh, no. We're almost there. Okay. So I will tell you that. But I was just going to say, uh, after, they, uh, after guests enjoyed all of that, they exited um, down, a, down an exterior ramp. And what was just really cool about this, the building, it's, it's such a beautiful building, but they also had the, um, the dome of it on the outside was just covered in animated colored lights that kind of gave it the sense of motion, uh, that it was rotating. Mm. And so it really drew people to it, especially at night, because uh, it looked like, like a flying saucer. And there was a, a fountain of the planets just outside and nightly fireworks. So it just really was just a visually impressive exhibit. And it ended up being um, the third most attended pavilion at the World's Fair behind uh, General Motors, which mm-hmm. they, they actually had two and a half times the capacity. So, Wow, what uh, did General Motors have? I'm not sure of the name of it. I'd have to look that up. We never hear about that. We only hear about well, Ford. Well, that's interesting. Yeah, because the, <laughs> f- the Ford's, uh, Disney's Ford Skyway was the fourth most attended. It was very close to the Carousel of Progress. But, you know, that that's a whole other story about how Disney went from Ford to having General Motors and mm. be their uh, sponsor at Epcot. But that's a whole other thing. But anyway, the, the thing that was the biggest uh, thing of the fair was the Vatican City. Oh. One which actually ah, they yes. actually were able to borrow Michelangelo's Pieta, which was a uh, a famous statue uh, that had never been moved out of the Vatican City, um, and I guess it was just very popular. I remember the 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 guy at the fair, the guy who was in charge of the fair. He said his two biggest draws were the fact that he had the Michelangelo and Disney. Hmm. So impressive. Yes. Anyway, so a total of uh, 3,600 guests were able to visit this uh, pavilion at the fair, and a total of 16 million folks did throughout its two-year thing. If you, I guess I never really said what the dates were. They actually, the fair was a six-month thing from April through October in both the years 1964 and 65. Mm. So they took kind of a six-month break in between the two. Hmm. And, uh, yeah. Just kind of a big deal. Oh, there was one other thing I wanted to say. That actually, on opening day of the this pavilion, Walt Disney actually cut the ribbon, and his guest there was G.E. Fair, which was the grandmother audio animatronic oh, from uh, from the show, and actually <laughs> flew her first class. Yeah. And it was kind of a strange looking thing. They actually flew a an audio animatronic where she had her own seat. I love the footage of that yeah. with Walt sitting next to her. Pretty funny. <laughs> But her name was G.E. Fair. Hmm. Get it? 
I do. <laughs> anyway, so uh, um, Dick Irvine, he actually, he was later the head of Imagineering, he actually called this whole thing um, a refrigerator show, just a way to sell GE products. But it was really kind of the first example, first really um, big example of a company sponsoring a Disney exhibit or a whole Disney show. And was just base uh, a way of benefiting both parties. They, yeah. you know, Disney got the money from GE to create all of this technology and to create this exhibit, which of course did exhibit um, General Electric products. So they got the benefit of being. Uh, I had mentioned that before, of just being, uh, you know, tied to Disney's name. Yeah. And every, you know, the public, of course, won because it was a fun exhibit that later did um, move to Disneyland. And yeah, so they they moved the show itself to Disneyland, and the first three scenes really there were no changes made. Um, the fourth scene they did update before it went to Disneyland, and they still had the the ramp that went up to the second floor, but all of the stuff with the nuclear fusion <laughs> that all went away. The even the the parrot and the talking transformer show that all went away. Hmm. Um, and the Medallion City, that all went away too. But they did have um, the model that uh, a lot of people can see today when they ride Walt Disney World's People Mover. A very small portion. A very small portion, because actually the full portion of that is, I think I have that. It was a, a f- you know, it was first off, it was called Progress City USA, as you all know. It was 115 feet by 60 feet. I don't That's even crazy. know how much the one is there, but it's a... It's not that big. Not, yeah. <laughs> but anyway, it had 1,400 working streetlights. Wow. It had 2,500 moving vehicles along the little streets and, you know, it, not and not just cars, but they even had like little people movers and monorails and things. Wow. And they had forty a total of 4,500 structures and 20,000 little trees. It was such an elaborate model. I can't imagine something that yeah. big. Yeah, the whole thing was done one-eighth scale. Um, Walt actually insisted that the interiors <laughs> of these structures be um, furnished and um, finished and individually lit. Wow. And we were thinking about that. A buddy of mine who actually has been, he's an imaginary who actually got to kind of clean up that model. So he mm-hmm. actually... The one at here on the people mover, he actually was tasked with kind of going into the model and kind of cleaning it up a bit. So he's actually physically been there. And he was. we were thinking about it like, uh, yeah, they didn't individually light 4,500 <laughs> uh, structures. I think it was just the, the ones that were probably up front. Mm, makes sense. Yeah. The <laughs> ones that people would be more likely to see. Yeah. But anyway, so they brought, that was essentially what was up there. But um, so... It, there was a whole fourth show where the family um, talked about the city that they were living in. And they mm. did include the idea of the medallion homes, and they talked about it a little bit. Um, but the model itself, they, you know, it had its own airport, its own amusement park, wow. its own nuclear power plant. Yeah, because the part that we see from the people mover seems to be like the center of it. So yeah. it must have just gone out so far yeah. with so many 
little substructures and you know yeah, smaller and it's details. very reminiscent of course of the thing that later be you know became yeah. known as epcot you know because and essentially it was this was walt the whole idea of progress land was walt's idea to try to get to epcot his, mm-hmm. you know, his grand idea you know the whole idea of the fair was not only um, to develop all of these new technologies, these new ride systems, but also to um, to expand, because Disneyland being so far out west, lacked not only a lot of the audience, but um, what he called the sophisticates. Because, I mean, and I don't mean that in a way that <laughs> that people from the east are better, right. but it is where a lot of the government was. Yeah. A lot of the co- uh, corporate headquarters were all from there. So a lot of the kind of the business elites were from places like New York, Philadelphia, and that kind yeah. of place, Washington. So, and but Disneyland didn't really draw from the East too much. So his idea yeah. was to come up with an East Coast place, which was Walt Disney World, of course. Um, and of course, having the Magic Kingdom there was just the initial plan, but the ultimate goal was his Epcot you know, the experimental prototype community of tomorrow. Oh, yes. And the model of Progress City USA was kind of like the visual encapsulation of what Epcot was. Mm. So, yeah, mm. kind of a big thing. But anyway, so the, all of that went to Disneyland. Um, actually, all of the, the four shows at the World's Fair went to Disneyland, uh, including It's a Small World, uh, the Lincoln Show. And the Skyway moved in a way that they didn't move the whole show, but a lot of the uh, the prehistoric dinosaurs right. are in the primeval world section of the railroad there. But anyway, uh, they didn't really have a place in Tomorrowland for that whole theater. Hmm. That place where it sits now actually used to be the uh, the Space Bar, which was a <laughs> restaurant... A quick serve, just a, a quick service oh, restaurant, that's funny. Uh, serving space burgers, and they had these newfangled things called vending <laughs> machines. Kristen and I were both thinking like space bar, like on your laptop. <laughs> a different oh, yeah. interpretation. That's right. <laughs> I don't know if that was called the space bar then, but it was the space bar. Not yeah, the space no, bar. I I get what it was. <laughs> we were just saying it. Anyway, they had uh, <laughs> these new things called vending machines. Ah, yes. That dispense not only things like fresh coffee, but ice cream. Yeah, like the automats from yeah. New York. My mom would visit those very often. Yeah, so in New this York City. was what where um, the theater is now. It was the hmm. space bar, which kind of they had seating that overlooked the Tomorrowland Autopia, because back at that time, the what is now the Autopia, there were two different ones. There mm-hmm. was the Fantasyland Autopia and the Tomorrowland Autopia. And where the loading was quite right there. Hmm. And they had the space bar. Do you and have photos of the space bar? I ha- I do. Okay, we'll have to. We'll have to include those. <laughs> and that's right where the um, the Skyway uh, yeah. uh, was, um, started. The, the Skyway Here. from Tomorrowland was right there as well. So, they, um, so this kind of gave Walt the idea to have a brand new Tomorrowland Mm. because by this time, you know, with all of the advancements that were happening in the world, including space travel, um, you know, going to the moon was a thing that would happen very soon, but they had, you know, astronauts going into space and all these advancements in technology that everything that was in Tomorrowland at that point was 
outdated. Yeah. So he thought, okay, let's do a whole new Tomorrowland. And this was the 1967 um, remake of Tomorrowland, the new Tomorrowland, if you will, which consisted of uh, a new location for the rocket jets, the people mover, my favorite. Yes. Ah, the people mover. I loved the people mover. <laughs> It also included the uh, the new 360-degree show, America the Beautiful. The Flight to the Moon, which was a redesign. And, of course, my other true favorite, Adventure Through Inner Space. Mm. Ah. <laughs> I have many, many memories of uh, seeing that show. The Adventure Through Inner Space was my favorite. I had said previously, the people mover was, I'm wrong. Adventure Through Inner Space was my all-time favorite. (laughs) Anyway, so they included that as well as um, they brought the Carousel of Progress. And so they made a new theater for it, kind of way um, in the back of Tomorrowland. And they put that there. Was it just the one from the World's Fair, like taken apart and put back together? It wasn't like... but then they just had to re- yeah, change so they, the interior so they actually, stuff upstairs. Uh, initially built it on the studio lot in Burbank and then shipped it out to New York. That's so crazy to, f- to think about. took it apart and shipped it back to Disneyland. I can't imagine. And that and like, um, it's a small world. Yeah. It's just mind-boggling yeah, to me Those two shows were them. intact. The, the Lincoln show, at one point, um, they actually, because the Lincoln show actually didn't premiere until I think the second season mm. of the fair. But it, it was so popular, they actually had it running in Disneyland at the same time as the World's Fair. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. But uh, the carousel progress of the four attractions from the fair was the last one to open in Disneyland in 1965. That opened on um, July 2nd, 1967. Hmm. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Boop, boop. Just checking to make sure I got everything. <laughs> And then GE was like, hey, everyone's seen this. We want it to go to your new park. Oh, that's right. Right? Pretty much. <laughs> yeah, well, it was it was a combination of that, plus um, they had an idea for a new show with the upcoming Bicentennial. They had an idea oh, yeah. for America Sings, which would eventually replace um, Carousel of Progress there. And... Uh, Ju- that opened in 1975, just right before the Bicentennial. It was a very patriotic show that kind of showcasing all of the music in America's history. Hmm. I personally have seen it many, many times, yeah. and I, I absolutely have, have fond, fond memories <laughs> of it. I at, do remember the Bicentennial. Oh, yeah. But I don't remember at it Disney World, at Disneyland. Sure. No. So anyway, they brought Carousel of Progress. They moved it, and they packed it up and shipped it uh, east to yeah. Disney World. It wasn't an opening day attraction, that, but it was kind of the the second stage of their Tomorrowland that opened kind of the same idea, or sorry, it's the same um, time period as the Space Mountain mm. and um, People Mover there. Tomorrowland, 75. That's right. And it's really just celebrated its 45th birthday uh, here at Magic yeah, Kingdom. I'm wearing the 40th anniversary shirt right now. Yeah, so I guess because it was January 15th. Yeah. 75, so. That's right. We just passed January 15th, so. 45 years. Yeah. A year younger than myself. But I think I look a little better than some of those figures. I would agree with this. (laughs) Hopefully I'm in better condition. 
<laughs> Who knows? Anyway. <laughs> Magic Kingdom. Ah, yes. The Magic Kingdom. I actually really don't have a lot of this. Uh, of All right. Well, I can talk then because they I really had, experienced it. I was just going to say one other thing. They actually did change the song. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Okay. So GE was like, we don't want people to think about the future. We want people to think about now. Because they actually got a a new CEO at this point, Jack Welch, who was kind of, yeah, he was kind of like a real stickler for things. And he... He wanted it changed, so you go ahead with that. Well, they w- they wanted people to buy new things now. Now, now, is, now the is the time, time. Yes. to buy new appliances at GE. So what did they call this new song? <laughs> now is the time. Parentheses, the best time of your life. Now is the best time. Or whatever. The yeah. best time of your life. So, yeah, the Sherman Brothers came up with that again. And the the amazing thing about the Sherman Brothers is, boy, they sure are good with an assignment. And yeah. I grew up hearing that song and it got stuck in my head just as much as it's a great, big, beautiful, you know, I'm not going to sing the whole thing, but, and it's a small world. Like all of these songs were just like the perfect jingle that stuck into your mind. Yeah. I did see the original Carousel of Progress personally at Disneyland, like in 74, but I was too young to remember it. But then I didn't see it again until my first visit to Disney World in 84, um, and you heard that song. And I heard the news song. Yeah. yeah. And so, yeah, that's kind of the one that I grew up with. Too. Yeah. Which is funny because most purists, are, you know, only like the the uh, Great Big Beautiful Tomorrow. But I think it's a good song on its own. It They're does, both The lyrics fantastic. are yeah. very also inspiring and, you know, motivating. So yeah. I think it's good. But I do like, well, I like them both, so. <laughs> yeah, I like them both equally. I'm not partial to one yeah. or the other. But, but it's good to think about, you know, a great big beautiful tomorrow yeah. shining at the end of every day. And what's amazing is they still actually use the kind of uh, versions of both of those songs in various locations, including, well, you know, the Interventions area at oh, yeah. um, Disneyland, as well as just various kind of like background music mm. in, in Tomorrowland, as well as Epcot even. Yeah. So. And that, you know, is what I grew up remembering. And the theater in Magic Kingdom, I don't know what it was like in Disneyland because I never experienced it there. But it was like the stripe, the blue and white stripes. And then they would get thinner. So as the whole theater moved, it would look like, you know, it was moving I remembered it as a red and white stripe building. But I think that was my memories of America Sings. I think that's how it was for America Sings. Hmm. Yeah. yeah, because like all of Tomorrowland was pretty much blue and white back then. So yeah, I think it was blue. But if I'm wrong, let me know. <laughs> I'm not sure. Because I, t- like, to me, Tomorrowland was the kind of the late '70s, early '80s version of the one at uh, Disneyland. Mm. That's the one I grew up with, and yeah. that was you know they had America Sings there. So hmm. well, then in 1985, GE's contract was up. They had a 10-year contract. And they're like, no, we're good. We're not yeah, going to renew. Even though they did uh, sponsor Horizons at the time. Yeah. At Epcot. Which many say is the continuation of the yes. family from Carousel of Progress. That's right. It's a, a kind of a way, it's essentially, yeah, it's a continuation. Basically, it, it's it's showcasing the family in a whole different time period. And this yeah. is kind of now the actual the different future. different types of future that exist. So it's not necessarily the exact same father. Right. 
but it's just another family. But yeah, it, the whole idea is a continuation of this. Yeah. yeah. So then it just kind of sat there for a while, and not until 1993, when Tomorrowland was undergoing its terrible, terrible changes, <laughs> which included to... the alien encounter. Yeah, alien encounter. I'm okay with, think. but but it, uh, yeah, the whole the thing architecture, they... the design. They're just now getting rid of. Yeah, I, and... I don't know why they thought rocks, rock work would um, be kind of the I mean, new thing. I mean, I get them thinking that the Tomorrowland from even the 70s, but also the 50s is not very futuristic anymore. Yeah. However, I think there's been sort of like a cyclical, now the retro futurist kind of like mid-century modern future yeah. looking stuff is futuristic again. Yeah. Um, They've always had problems keeping Tomorrowland futuristic. Yeah, but I think... It's always kept, caught up with itself. <laughs> also, I think they're realizing... I mean, I don't know. I'm not an Imagineer, but I think they're realizing that, like, clean lines and not these, like, very specific design yeah. architecture looks of, like, all those weird gears and things like that yep. are the way to go. And it's slowly changing. I'm excited to see where it goes. I'm excited to see, but it'll be interesting when they include the Neutron coaster. Yeah. How that if that'll even that mesh true. with the whole land at all or will be a complete mess yeah or a contrast with how everything should be i'm sure they 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 can find a way to make it all look nice together eventually hopefully <laughs> they can do this yeah because i mean even the grand prix raceway is not futuristic in any way no. so and there are <laughs> ways that they can make it that way. Yeah, for like sure. They could make it a moonscape, for example, and it could have the cars kind of go over a it full planet or something It could be sponsored by Tesla. Like oh, yeah. And they could be all electric vehicles. Yeah. That would be fun. I mean, if you think about, yeah, all of the um, noise pollution, yeah. to me it is an iconic sound. It is, and Disney smell, World. like yeah. the smell of the little engines. Um, but anyway, back to 1993. <laughs> That's when they did a total revamp sort of yep. they redid all of the narration all the voice acting mm -hmm. oh, except right. for uncle orville or cousin orville yeah that's right and it was now gene shepherd which everyone knows and loves from a christmas story that's right and many other tales and, and he's got a you know once again just a very classic yeah. down home voice as an well, iconic very voice. comfortable so i didn't hate that change no i liked it and um I guess at that point they kind of changed the fourth scene to yes. be their idea of what the year 2000 would look like, but the 1994 version of that. You know, with laser discs. And mm. virtual reality with grandma and stuff like that. She was very good <laughs> at that game. <laughs> um, yeah. And because of all the weird things that they did to Tomorrowland, that was when they changed the people mover to the... Tomorrowland Transit Authority, yeah. and they just had all those weird backstories. Yeah, so, they in including they even had that the the new um, Carousel of Progress was quote unquote sponsored by the Tomorrowland Metro Retro Society. Metro Retro Historical Society. Oh, the hist Okay, very good. <laughs> That's what I was about to say. Yes, um, yeah. So all that weird stuff, like I really when they made those changes and like the People Mover, especially when they changed that, I was very not happy. And the narration changes and like the little thing with the lady with her getting her hair done, which is still there and all that stuff. Like I was not a fan. Yeah. But 
after that, nothing really happened until 2016 when they changed the paint on the outside. Mm-hmm. That that's was a true. good change because yeah. that's they're going with a lot of like color blocking mm-hmm. sort of things. They changed the paint going up to the people mover. They changed the name back to the, it was like the TTA people mover now. Yeah. Like they did a compromise kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah. A lot of and, weird little things like that. But. And it's gone through, you know, being a seasonal attraction. Now I think it's back to yeah, full time. Because but. there was a time when they were running it seasonally and everyone knew at the time if they run something seasonally right. based on the path, that just means that this is kind of the death knell for yeah. this attraction. Surely it's on its way out. And that has happened for a lot of attractions. Mm-hmm. But it did not happen for this one. Yeah. So it's kind of experienced like a, re- a little resurgence, I would say. There definitely are, you know, many, many fans of the Carousel of oh, Progress yeah. and keeping it in its... Including just the fact that it has Walt Disney's name right on it. Right. Exactly. And in, it has his, you know, imprint all over it as yeah. well. So there was apparently a tweet in 2017, supposedly Ooh. from a Tomorrowland cast member, saying that an all-new... <laughs> cast and an all new script was going to be coming soon and then that tweet was deleted so uh, i don't know you'll have I to mean, are you sure maybe he wasn't a bus driver or a security <laughs> guard or something maybe um i don't say that to make it factual in any way but i don't know just to say you know what yeah. do you think if they were to redo it would you want a whole new script um i wouldn't mind a whole new script i do kind of like it the way it is I liked the old version you know I, I like the old version even better than the current version uh, for the you know the first three scenes the initial idea of course for the fourth scene was to keep it modern and futuristic yeah, constantly changing uh, and constantly but it's hard changing. to do that it with is very hard the the previous scene before that being the 1940s like so much has happened in then but do you really want to go through the 70s with avocado green dishwashers and <laughs> refrigerators no. i would say no and really so who knows the original intent was to showcase appliances yeah, so GE. if you were to do it now and go back and change the whole thing would you just take out the appliance component like that's not the focus anymore uh, I, appliances are kind of a big thing in people's homes but yeah. I'd say they're m- more towards uh entertainment it would be a very big so, challenge, like, I think, to try to so who knows? redo it. Yeah. I don't envy those Imagineers if they are indeed working on it. But if anyone can do it, this is true. Imagineers, they have the the ability to tell stories through yeah. you know three D. I think maybe if they were to redo the last scene and the way that like uh, I forget her name, but the girl is like, oh. You're not going to tell us about the time before you had a car phone. Patricia. Patricia. <laughs> um, I think they could do that with like other family members and each of them are reminiscing like the uh, 60s, yeah. the 70s, the 80s, maybe. That's really yeah. the only way they could do like fit an all in the last scene and then have <laughs> like a 10 year old who is, you know, on Snapchat yeah. and. <laughs> or they could even take what what uh, became of Horizons and maybe bring that hmm. there. Hmm. Right. Interesting. As a way, I don't know. Let's just expand the theater so it's now sixteen <laughs> different rotating that. scenes. Yeah, uh, I guess I failed to say that when when it came to Florida, of course, everything on the second floor was completely gone by that point. Yeah. So there were no speed ramps that went into the th- 
uh, stage or anything like that. That's all gone. Yeah. I forgot to mention that. that so I do wish I had seen it when it came to Disneyland. Yeah. But I guess I probably wouldn't have had any memory of it, even if I had. I Yeah, I've been there, and I have no memory of it. Yeah. But being able to go up to a second story yeah. um, would have nice. been very I mean, cool. And so that, that explains why even there at Disneyland, they do have the two-story interventions area with that ramp that goes down the exterior. Yeah. That's the That was the exit hmm. of all of that. So. Well, I think we've pretty much covered it. Yeah. From its humble beginnings, which really weren't so humble. Not at all. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, they had just some really bold uh, plans initially for Disneyland, and then, you know, the, all the World's Fair stuff to me is just amazing. Yeah. I really, really wish I could have seen that whole I World's know. Fair. Me too. Someone needs to come out with, like, a documentary. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm sure something exists, but I haven't found it yet. Yeah. Well, I should mention um, a lot of this, the info that I got was from this um, five CD set that was um, released maybe, maybe 10 years ago. But... There's a full disc on each of the four shows, including a second bonus disc on Progress Land that includes not only the full shows, but all of just a whole bunch of the backup stuff and all the supplemental stuff for each of those shows. And this is an absolute treasure. Mm. Um, I would highly, highly recommend this set. And I'm not, I have no idea if it's on iTunes or Apple I'm Music or whatever. I'm looking right now. It does appear to be on Amazon. So I will okay. put a link to that in the blog yeah, post because this is I mean, accompanying. Um, all of the tracks on there are just pure gold. A lot of really great stuff on yeah. there. Yeah. It's funny to hear the original narration, yeah. which was slightly different from what went to. And not only the original Magic narration, Kingdom. they had uh, the whole test version with the uh, the Peabody's or oh, wow. from Middleburg, USA. To all this, so. So I will have to. Yeah. I don't think I have I a CD player. I highly car, so. recommend it. You know, and they even include the, uh, the. there's a great, big, beautiful tomorrow, the version that was in Horizons in that one scene. Ah, yes. Where that lady was soaking in a bathtub up on yeah, the second floor. Yeah, and the guy was singing it on TV. Yeah. Or the radio, I forget. That, even that song is even on there too. Wow. Yeah, so, I mean, part of why I opened the show with the original narration from the fair is the words in there and it changed slightly when it came to mm-hmm. Disneyland and then Magic Kingdom. They're really important and they're oh, yeah. they're very inspiring and you know, progress isn't just moving forward, it's a whole bunch of other stuff. Yeah. And a, I had to say turbine the way that he said it, even though I would not pronounce <laughs> it that way. I would say turbine, but you right. know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was just really like, you know, getting release from drudgery. Yeah, as a way to entertain ourselves yeah you know to have relaxing comfortable lives through work and i think when i visited magic kingdom back in the 80s this was one of my favorite attractions always it was the people mover in the carousel of progress <laughs> and yeah i hope it comes back better than ever at some yeah. point in the future but don't change it too much but let us know in <laughs> the comments on youtube or you can comment on Facebook. We can start a discussion there. Uh, What you think of past versions of the Carousel of Progress, the current version, what you think could or should be changed, if anything. Yeah, and since this is the um, 
What is it? It's the more people have seen this stage show than That's any right, other in running. American history, yeah. American theater. So I'm sure <laughs> probably everyone listening to this has seen it in one form or another. Which I'm sure people in actual theater love that statistic because they're like, hey, but it's true, <laughs> we're though. live people. But it is true. Yes. So, stage yeah. show. So, so since that is the, you know, a, a fun fact, I'm sure everyone listening to this has probably seen it. I'm sure. And has memories of it. Yeah. And so, I, yeah, we'd love to hear what you think. What should be done to it? Yeah. Should it be kept just as is? Should they update? Should the last scene be updated or the whole attraction? Or should it be expanded to include 16 <laughs> different? <laughs> yes, that's what I'm going with. That's my vote. <laughs> All right. Well, I think we've reached the top of the waterfall, as it were, and covered this entire topic. So we thank you, of course, for listening. Make sure you like and subscribe wherever you're listening or watching. And tell a friend that you heard what hopefully you enjoyed this podcast. And uh, yeah, we'd love to hear from you. So yeah, thanks for joining us up the waterfall. (laughs) Bye now.